Right, we're going to be talking now to John Cowan from The Parenting Place. And for the next 20-odd minutes, uh, we could do this every month. And we found last time we did it, we were just completely swamped with phone calls and texts. So it really was. So if you've got any concerns, I know it's a common trend these days for grandparents even to be doing a lot of the parenting. So if you've got any concerns, issues, questions, queries about your children, how to raise them, if they're feeling a bit anxious, that sort of stuff, then give us a call, 0800 80 10 80. Or you can text your question if you'd prefer, if you're a bit nervous to go on the radio, by all means, 9292 is our text number. And you may have seen on 7 Sharp, uh, very, very interesting to me, I must say, as a grandfather and previously that a father, as you tend to be before you become a grandfather. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm presuming you're still a father. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Look, if you want your kids to have a bath, bath brush their teeth, do their chores or go to bed, you might need to lower your voice because the experts have discovered that actually really having, quote, the caps lock on all the time and having that big growly voice is actually has quite a negative effect. Right, so in the studio with us, uh, John Cowan from The Parenting Place. Good afternoon, John. Hi, John. G'day, guys. Nice to talk to you. Now, we've got a bit of a funny old with technology. Now, you, John, you sound like you're coming from the moon, but that's okay because there's still oh, parenting okay. that happens. I hope it gets a bit clearer. No, that's that's not too bad. John, let's, let's kick off then with this interesting uh, report out about shouting at your kids. It loses its effectiveness. I, I'm presuming you would agree entirely? I'm just intrigued that they say experts discover this, but I think most parents discover that if you yell at your kids, you just have to keep on loud and, uh, getting louder and louder and yelling more and more because it, it might get results for a while, but it doesn't work uh, in the long run. You end up having to shout even to get them to do things that they want to do. Come and have some ice cream. Very uh, <laughs> cool. So and there's it, better techniques. Does it damage children? Oh, it depends on whether it's packaged with anger. I think it's the anger and the sourness that really erodes a kid's heart. And I think a parent can do that while being quite quiet and icy. So it's the anger which doesn't make for good discipline. If you're doing discipline with anger, it's probably not discipline at all. It's probably just revenge. They've made you feel bad. Now you're going to make them feel bad. Right. John, I think it would be fair to say... Um, and I absolutely include myself in this. I've I've yelled at the kids um, when I was raising them. You know, when they were younger, I've yelled at them. And you oh, know, the trouble with you, Simon, is that you're a human being. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, <laughs> exactly. all, all of us have done it. But the odd occasion when we lose it, and you, you know, pressures of life, etc. But I've always taken it upon myself, and I've never had any issues with apologising to your kids. Some would argue, though, apologising to kids, you shouldn't do that necessarily. What, what's your take on that? Yeah, some people reckon they'll they'll lose their kids' respect. But yeah. No, I reckon if you've been a Wally, there's no point in continuing to be a Wally by not backing down. And I think my kids got quite used to it. You know, I'd come back and oh, sorry about that telling off you got this morning. You didn't really deserve that much anger. I wasn't very happy of what you did. And I think that... Uh, you can back down with your kids. You don't have to back down all the way to the ba- down to the basement. You no. can just back down a bit. If you've made an unreasonable threat or something, you know, like, well, I said you're going to be grounded for the rest of the year, but I don't want to be stuck at home with you for the rest of the year. You're not going out this weekend, but your attitude seems to have picked up, so we'll leave it at that. You can back down a little bit. I think you lose respect if you do silly things and then don't correct it. Mm. Very fair call, John. Now, I'm sure many people listening, just as I am, will go, yes, I totally agree with everything that everything that you've said. But sometimes you do want your kids to do something. It's for everybody's good. What technique yep. could parents use, please, or caregivers use to get a child to do something that the kid, for some reason or another, is a bit reluctant to do? Everything from, you know, finishing their breakfast yep. to going and getting their school bag to get to school. 
Yeah. The thing is, I think, to think of discipline as being something you're doing all the time, not just incident by incident. And uh, uh, when I talk about discipline, I talk about atmosphere and the boundaries and the communication. That means that discipline just happens. If you've got those things in place, then the discipline happens. There are still the hot spots, and there is a number of things you can do during hot spots to to get a kid's attention, to get them to focus on what you're doing. Sometimes it mean it might mean uh, just reading their mood and sometimes seeing, hey, if they're really angry at me or they're distracted or they're upset about something, I deal with that. And, uh, you know, sometimes a kid will not be complying because there's a reason for it. Sometimes you need to be a little bit of a, well, you're a parent, you're not, you, you can sometimes just tell there's something going on yeah. in my kid's head and heart that I need to get beyond, beyond. So. I think those are far more important than just having uh, the techniques, but there are techniques. One of them is to just step up close, to get down to their level, uh, to use a serious face, to let them know that uh, you're, you're being serious. And, and honestly, there is a place for a stern face and an angry voice at times. It should be your thermonuclear weapon, your weapon of last resort, but it should be so effective they should lo lose uh, bladder control uh, because they see it so rarely. But sometimes for their safety and for your peace of mind, you do need to have that tool in, 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 your, in your kit. That's very good. 0800 80 is our phone number. If you've got a question for John, 0800 80 will take calls for the next 15 minutes. We can text us 9292. Quickly before we go to the break, John, this is, this is a really good text. Uh, it says, hi guys from Anonymous. Hey John, what would be your recommendations for a boy in his mid-teens struggling with pornography? He knows the pitfall, pitfalls and doesn't in himself want to be using it, but it's become an addiction. Um, where could we go for specific help? What do we do? Okay, uh, it's a very, very common problem. It's a, a, a ubiquitous thing amongst our teenagers. And I think that threatening kids and making them scared of things doesn't tend to work. One of the things that does work, I think, with pornography and sexual behavior in general is to actually inspire kids about the fact that these are real people, that the attitudes they have to, to people in general and the opposite sex in particular, those are the things you major on. And so you appear, so rather than just rubbing it into them that they are a bad kid and that they're of low character and they're a grubby person, you're actually appealing to the fact that, hey, you're a good person and you respect yeah. people and you want to have great relationships. And so I think kids respond far more to the fact that you're still respecting them and impressed by them. And uh, therefore, their behavior needs to come into line with that rather than just reminding them of what a rotten person they are, which they possibly think they are anyway. Good advice. Fair call. Now, this is a very good call, I think. A text we've got here, John. It says, I have a five-year-old child that prefers to play by himself. Do you have any advice on how we can get him to be more social with other children? Okay. Just allow kids to play alongside him. Boys in particular tend to play alongside other kids for a while rather than with other kids and you know what that's okay and so just still arranging the play dates and having kids around and getting them along to um, preschool and things like that that'll be fine but people find their own levels on this there are some kids that are introverts and introverts are okay 
that's not quite the same as those kids that are actually crippled by shyness that would really love to be playing with others but can't. They need a little bit of help with their social skills and things. But honestly, there's a lot of kids that are quite content on that. Joined by John Cowan from The Parenting Place. Once a month we do this really good stuff to get John's expert advice on raising children or grandchildren. Uh, thanks again, John, for your time. It's, Thank it's you. wonderful. So, no, John, this uh, question is a good one. Phil and I were just discussing it during the break there. Hey, guys, love the show. I have three kids still at home, one biological boy at 14 and two stepkids, a girl who's 10 and a boy who's 8. Of late, the oldest is feeling like I pay more attention to the older. Uh, the mum, two stepchildren. The yeah. two stepchildren. Mum and I talk all the time and agree that I am not uh, that I am not showing any favouritism or the like. But still, the oldest fella sees it that way and feels that way. Any ideas on how to handle this without losing communication? Okay, it's always tricky with stepkids. Well, maybe it's not always, but it's often uh, very tricky. And um, I think that there is almost a tendency when you're trying to do it right that you can sometimes treat your bio children a little harsher than you treat the stepchildren and uh, because you're um, desperately trying to build your relationship up there so I would suggest spending some time alone with um, uh, with the kids uh, you know perhaps a one-on-one as a dad date and it doesn't have to be all that often, but just a little bit of time alone so that they can know that uh, they still figure in his world, that he's not neglecting them. It's, it's tricky in a busy life, but uh, perhaps, you know, breakfast at McDonald's or something like that once a month, it can really make a difference. And also just taking an interest and not expecting a lot back sometimes. Kids getting to this age, they sometimes forget how to talk. Yeah. And so that's okay, you know. You're talking yeah. about the 14-year-old boy, the biological boy, John, spending yeah. some one-on-one yeah. -on -one time with him. Mm. Yeah, 14 yeah. can be 14 can be tricky for a boy anyway. Yeah, and uh, so um, yeah, so I think some one-on-one -on -one time, a trip away, going fishing, developing a, a, a hobby together. You know, if it could be snowboarding or skiing or fishing or something like that, that'd be excellent. Um, you know, and. As I say, you know, no one's got enough time, no one's got enough money for doing these things, but sometimes just a one-on-one -on -one time uh, could be wonderful. Perfect. Very good indeed. Now, here's a great question, I think, because it's something that many of us have struck over many years and still do occasionally. What about a seven-year-old boy that butts in all the time when adults are talking? What should you do? Okay, steer him towards a career in radio, I think. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Very cool. I, I, I think just drop down to their level, look them in the eye and just say, hey, when you've got uh, something to say, um, you just come and just perhaps pop your, um, put your hand on my shoulder and when there's a gap in the conversation, I'll, I'll turn to you. It's a technique that I've seen people use they, to train their kids to actually put their hand on their elbow or something when they want to uh, interrupt an adult who's speaking. And then the parent puts their hand on that kid's hand and says, which says, yes, I've heard you and I'll be turning to you in just a second. It's just a, it's just a technique so they know how to get uh, yeah. their needs met and without interrupting. That's a really good technique. This is a personal question that hasn't come on text. It's just something I'm interested in. My grandparents, John, were married for 53 years. I never saw them argue, and my mother, their, their daughter, never saw mm -hmm. them argue. They never argued. They had a great, great marriage. Um, it wasn't so fortunate for my mum when she got married or her sister. They both had divorces. And my wife and I have always had this kind of agreement that we would have our, if we had a robust discussion, we would always be respectful, but we would have disagreements in front of the children because we kind of wanted them to see that it was normal to 
have disagreements and a way of resolving yep. it. What do, is it. Is it better to shield your kids from an argument or expose them to it? I think that old advice of never fight in front of the children is good advice. But if you can do what you were doing, which is showing that you two people can have an authentic difference of opinion, but still love each other and respect each other and solve their problems, that's a fantastic thing for the kids to see. Uh, a lot of people never get that, that uh, mature in their relationships, and so they're probably better off just uh, rushing off down to the bedroom and having a fight behind closed doors. But if you can actually you know, show your kids that you can have different opinions but still love each other and, and solve those differences, that's a wonderful thing to demonstrate to your kids. So good on you if that's what you're doing. John, just so we make this very, very clear, because I actually think this is terribly important, actually. Um, what's important is if if you feel that the what do you call it, robust discussions yeah, on yeah. if that's going to just go into a slanging match, I, I gather that's yeah. not what you want kids to see. But a grown up, reasonable, fair, fair argument or discussion <laughs> that's okay. But we yeah. do not want us, kids. You don't want kids to be seeing parents calling each other names or stuff like that, do you? Kids get very, very upset when their parents actually fight and start to slag each other. And, uh, but I'm sure that's not what you're talking about. Um, no, no, no. But as I say, a, lo a lot of couples, you know, probably find that still something they are developing in their relationship. You know, we, we are human and we sometimes drop into uh, using a bit too much emotion. And so our kids are best spared that. Um, and, you know, it's on us, on us to, to become as good as we can in, in modelling this stuff to our kids. Great That's stuff. Tough really it, tough. it can be. We, it can yeah. be. We, we've got another five or so minutes with John. If you want to text your question, thanks for the text coming in to 9290, or you're welcome to give us a buzz, 0800 801080. This is a great, great text, John, from Jeremy. I reckon this is good on you, Jeremy. He says, Hey, fellas, I love this guy, John. Great advice. I'm really enjoying this part of your show. Uh, what age do you reckon you should start, start talking to your kids about sex? Oh, about when they're still in nappies. <laughs> and I'm quite serious well, about that. Well, I'm yeah. serious about that. When you model uh, a respect for your body and for their body, that's getting in there. As they're growing up through that toddler stage, you're giving them a vocabulary so they can actually talk about their body. They don't need to know the medical terms, but just some appropriate you know, terms that you might use in your family to be able to talk about their uh, bodies and things. And then right then, probably before they hit school, they need to know about appropriate touching and appropriate toileting. It's not fair to let a kid go off to kindy if they don't know how to uh, be safe around other kids around touching and things. And so this is all sex education. Mm. But um, I think that when you're talking about actually talking about um, sexual relationships and things like this, and I would have said probably 10 or 11 a couple of decades ago, but our world's a bit too dangerous now for kids not to have good information earlier than that. And so I reckon late primary school, sitting down really? with a good as young as that. Yeah, I think so. Depending on the maturity of your kids, yeah. and often they'll set the agenda when they're starting to show uh, a bit of interest, when they're talking about things on TV, when something crops up in in family life, uh, it might provide the opportunity. And you, you make it age appropriate. Uh, it is sad that the fast forward button's been pushed on childhood. But yeah. um, I think that, that, that probably as young as that, they need to be um, aware of, of, of some of the differences and, and things like this. But the thing is, a lot of parents also think that one decent talk and that's it. Whew, I've got I've right, given yeah. them all the information <laughs> they're ever going to need to know about sex for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Hey, there's a good resource that the Parenting Place has 
called uh, The Big Weekend and it can be downloaded and the idea is that you listen to it with your child. It's been voiced by um, uh, Petra Bagast and Piotre and you listen to it with your kid and it talks about all sorts of things about growing up, not just the biology but the changing in emotions and, and relationships and so if you go to parentingplace.nz and you can find out about the big weekend there which is a great resource to use with your kids. That's great, that really is good. Actually it's funny you talk about you know talking with your kids about sex education and body parts. I've been absolutely bagged left, right and centre from various people, John, because for some reason, I don't even know why it is, but in our family, we never called, when the kids were young, we never called the parts of the anatomy the real names. Right. I don't know why I felt awkward with that. <laughs> so, for example, there were, we used to call something a Fijoa and something... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and, and, and people, well, I'm certainly never going to have a fruit salad at your place, mate. I know yeah. <laughs> And people said, you can't call it the Fijoa. And I said, why not? Now, like, seriously, is it, is, do you damage your kids if you call the bits... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just I don't know why I was just much more comfortable saying that, that sort of stuff with with girls than, oh, okay. than the real. Yeah. yeah. So is it bad? Yeah. Well, look. If, well, can I ask you? Did it work? Oh, Are they traumatised? They, they don't seem traumatised <laughs> at all. They seem to they be gone off to med school and have they gone off to med school and flunked out because of basic <laughs> biological terms they don't know properly? No, oh, look, no, it, no, it, but I'm, the, look, if you made a list of all the terms used in in. Uh, uh, you know, for the different bits and pieces, it would it would be a very very long list. And uh, the yeah. thing is, as long as kids can talk um, without too much embarrassment about these things, that's the thing. And if you use, uh, you know, and most people probably use polite slang, should we say, rather than crude terms. So yeah. If it works, yeah. it works. I mean, they probably do know before they go off to a doctor that they need to know the proper terms. But I'm sure even doctors are used. <laughs> I mean, the <laughs> doctor might redirect your daughter to a horticulturalist if she came in complaining a bit. Yeah, this problem with the pajamas. <laughs> John, listen, it's been great talking with you. Thanks so much for your time, mate. Thanks, John. It's great, mate. Oh, absolute pleasure, Ryan.